Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. My special guest today is Justin Norden. He's the managing partner at GSR Ventures, and GSR Ventures specializes in funding early-stage digital health companies. Justin is a very unique individual. He is both a physician and a computer scientist by training, and he has a real passion for the Medicaid sector. I invite you to join in on the and listen to this fascinating conversation with Justin. Before we get there, I just want to take a quick minute to acknowledge the support from our generous sponsors. Be well. I am thrilled to be here with Justin Norton, managing partner at GSR Ventures, which is a fund that is focused on early stage digital health companies. Justin, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Patty, thank you so much. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about the fund. Tell us how you got into launching an early stage digital health fund and tell us a little bit about your journey and your story. Sure, sure. So happy to start with the fund, GSR Ventures, health tech focused venture fund here based in the US where we focus today. And our story, you know, myself and the partners that I work with here, we we share a common vision, really to transform healthcare through new technologies that really have yet, in our opinion, to disrupt the healthcare ecosystem. So I can walk through my own personal journey and you'll see how that informs our investment thesis with the fund. But I have a background. I started out as a computer scientist. I did my undergrad and master's in computer science and computational biology, focused on machine learning and genomics. The plan was always to be a physician, coming from a family of physicians. And this was something that you know, I always felt was you know, such an amazing thing, getting to care for, for patients. Through my journey, I ended up coming to Stanford for medical school, where armed with this computer science and tech background, I felt like I kept banging my head against the wall of, why are we not able to do things better with technology? Why don't we augment what we're able to do, augment the repetition, automate some of these processes, we can really spend more time with patients and deliver that better care. Ultimately, through my journey at Stanford, took some clinical detours, which is ultimately why we ended up starting a fund and are here today, ended up helping launch our Stanford Center for Digital Health, where we were doing some of the first telemedicine visits out of Epic, taking care of our ACO population. From there, I ended up leaving to join the team at Apple, where we were doing some amazing things at scale. And I know we want to talk a little bit more about what big tech companies are doing today. Ultimately, you can't spend this long in Silicon Valley without getting the startup itch. So tried my hand a few times as a founder. One of the companies focused on algorithm safety and trust. How do we know, you know what we're deploying is doing what it's meant to do? Ultimately, I ended up selling that company to Waymo, Google's self-driving car company, and then came here and joined the team here at GSR Ventures, where we just shared this common vision to change healthcare through technology. And so a little bit about the thesis of the fund, you know, a few of my other partners also have similar backgrounds all as physicians, all as former entrepreneurs, all as former technologists. And fundamentally, we saw this opportunity to really take that technology into healthcare and and make it happen. Now, it's not easy. As we all know, as we all, many of us have tried to do this for years and years, 
but especially over the past few years, we've really seen transformational changes with COVID, with adoption, with physicians finally buying in that this will be the future. And we think that is really only going to accelerate. So for us at GSR Ventures today, we're focused on companies that don't offer incremental improvements, but focus on two, three, 10, if not 100x improvements through the use of new technologies. Things like asynchronous telemedicine, digital therapeutics, companies working in Medicaid, which has previously been ignored. These are things that really get us excited. So hopefully that's a little bit of background. Happy to go into any of those things. Yeah, yeah, they're fantastic. And of course, I must note the fact that you're one of those successful Doctorpreneurs, if that's if that's a word, and uh, congratulations on all the success. And, and you talk about those little detours; those are important detours. And uh, congratulations. Uh, let's talk about the fund. And uh, you mentioned early stage digital health, digital therapeutics. You also mentioned Medicaid. Uh, I want to unpack that a little bit. Fortunately, at the bottom of the pyramid, maybe I don't know. But let's talk about the big picture. Uh, last year, thirty billion give or take, in venture capital for digital health startups. A lot of people are getting into it, including the corporate sector. A lot of health systems have launched their own funds, you know, Providence, uh, UPMC, Kaiser, Unity Point. In fact, the managing partner of Unity Point was on my podcast recently. And most recently, I saw even Cigna, you know, set aside like half a billion dollars, uh, something like that. So big money flowing into digital health. What's the outlook? You know, what, what do you see for 2022? Are we going to see this breakneck pace continuing? Great question. So actually just spoke with Matthew and Craig, Matthew from Unity Point and Craig from Cigna Ventures just a few days ago in Chicago at a conference. So I'll jump into your question here around, are we going to see this continue? I think it's really accelerated, right? It's more than doubled for the past few years. I don't think we're going to see that doubling again this year. So you mentioned a few of the parties who've come to the table in the past few years, health systems, payers who've jumped in. The other group that's really jumped in from the investment standpoint is people who traditionally were outside of healthcare. There's a lot of former technology investors, very big investors, hedge funds and venture uh, capital firms who previously had been on the sidelines for healthcare, who in COVID and other things said, hey, this is a market we should jump into. So it was really all of these parties who've come together to create kind of really this rapid acceleration in funding. Is that going to double this year? No. I think it'll be fairly close to where we were in 2022, probably to 2021 from a venture capital dollars standpoint, because there are many, many great companies and amazing opportunities as companies have really good fundamentals, are growing, and again, have the $4 trillion healthcare market to go after. What's going to be different though is there were some companies that, especially from investors who maybe weren't as familiar with how healthcare works, how long it takes to sell into some health systems and payers, where there was some maybe overhype in certain categories and you know valuations that looked more like software companies when really some of these companies that were recently funded were more traditional healthcare services with you know software on the fringes. So I think there's just really you know, going to be an awakening. And I think it's been seen on the public market side of these companies that were valued like true tech companies, when in reality, underneath the hood, they're really more healthcare services companies that trade at very different multiples. And so I think that has already corrected some on the public market side. Many of the companies that IPO'd over the past few years went through SPAC mergers, you know, have come down significantly as people are starting to realize, hey, healthcare is hard. And fundamentally, the fundamentals of these difference of these businesses, you know, look a little bit different than we're expecting. So we'll see that 
It's a correction we've already seen at some, I'd say already, in valuations at, in the private market side. But you know, there's a lot of room for growth here. So we remain incredibly optimistic for our companies going forward. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Now, you did note the fact that uh, companies that have gone IPO, they've seen a drop in their, in their overall market cap. Again, no one's making money from what I can tell. There's a long path to making money. But even in the private markets, in a lot of the privately held companies that are VC funded and so on, seems to me like there's a vast ocean of startups out there operating perhaps at subscale individually and creating some amount of fragmentation in the market. And I say this because I hear my clients who are health systems very confused about how to really tell if a startup has something real, how to evaluate and assess the risks and uh, really get into these partnerships. And you mentioned that it takes a long time to get into a health system. So there's a lot of risk there on both sides for health systems who are making the bet on a startup that is unproven, who is surviving from one funding cycle to the next, but for the startup too, because the long sales cycles can be fatal. So how do you square this influx of capital into this sector with the fact that you know, we see so much of uh, growth in the number of startups. No one's really making money. They all seem to be struggling to gain traction. Am I missing something here in the big picture? No, I think you offer a fair assessment, right? I think a lot of money has gone into startups and ideas and some early traction. But what really is needed for these startups to successfully sell and partner with health systems is proven ROI, clinical validation of the solution, and something I'm hoping to see more of as we progress. As you mentioned, talk at, let's take mental health, for example, an area, one of the leading areas for investment in the past few years. There's so many solutions on the market, most of which have never published results that their methods are working, that their patients are really getting better and kind of rely on kind of some very soft ROI metrics. And I think this is an area in particular that we're going to start to see consolidation and companies moving around. Have you really proven your results? Does your technology solution actually work to make patients better? Are people really seeing ROI from a health system repair result after implementing these solutions? And we're starting to see that. And so I think in crowded areas, this is a way that startups are going to be able to break out and the health system is going to be able to say, oh, yeah, this startup has clinical evidence, has proven, has shown this. This other one doesn't. So we're going to go with that. I think that's something I expect to see more of both this year and in the years to come to just help people pick and sift through the many, many options uh, for certain conditions. So the consolidation is definitely one path for many of these startups, you know, those who are showing some potential and promise. And we've seen some of that already taking place. And the consolidation takes the form of either a publicly held company acquiring smaller companies or privately held companies coming together to bulk up and increase their chances of survival and sustenance. Let's talk about the other side of the market, the big tech companies. They're making big investments as well. What does it mean for companies like your portfolio companies? What does it mean for the competitive landscape that they're operating in now that someone like an Amazon is getting directly into the business of healthcare services? Absolutely. I think it's exciting to have so much interest in the market. I think first and foremost, you know, you know, fundamentally, we all chose healthcare, not because we're hoping to make a quick buck because we want to make this better. And, you know, personally, I think it's fantastic that we're getting all of the big tech companies and people interested in making healthcare better. In terms of what it means for our startups, we need to figure out how to work with them. So take, for example, CVS announced a large partnership with one of our companies, Medible around making clinical trials better, creating an access point for those patients. As startups are really able to prove that they're delivering their solution, 
these big tech companies become a wonderful partner to take that distribution channel and really scale it across the country. So that's the first example where I think we're really excited as our startups really start to prove that they're winners in their field, these tech companies become a fantastic partner to really grow and continue to kind of build that relationship. In other areas, you know, it's always a joke. You know, it's the easiest VC out to say, ah, what if Google or Amazon, you know, does this? It's a real thing now in this space. You know, if you're trying to deliver medications to someone home, you are now competing directly up against Amazon. And I think it's exciting and it's interesting to see that growth there. You know, fundamentally, something we think about as early stage investors is what is going to be the moat? How are you going to build a network, proprietary distribution, IP around what you're doing? And as long as you do a good job of those things, you'll be able to compete against some of the big tech companies as you are growing, able to be successful. So I think it's interesting partnership opportunities. If things go sideways, I'm assuming we're going to see more acquisitions from some of these big tech companies. But I think fundamentally, it doesn't change. If you're taking on an interesting idea, figuring out a way we can really kind of find a position in the market and grow from a position of strength, then startups will just be fine. The healthcare is so big, it's going to take many, many hands to make this better. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. When you talk to your portfolio company founders and teams, what do you see as the one or two big challenges that they grapple with on an ongoing basis? And how do you help them think through it, having been a successful entrepreneur yourself and having seen what it takes to make it? So, so many challenges, you know, it depends on the day, on the week of what things are coming up. But to take a few, you know, one of the most important ones within healthcare is how do you build real fundamental partnerships that are win-win? And I think as an early stage company, this is one of those big challenges. Do you take strategic capital from a potential big player? You know, does that hurt your financing options later? Do they have too much control so you can't partner with one of their competitors? You know, how do you structure a contract such that there's real buy-in? that they're not just buying your IP, buying the option value with no kind of real guarantee that they're going to deliver on their end. So some of these fundamental things about, you know, how do you contract partner with some of these bigger players who, if it goes well, can be a huge, huge uh, boom to your business. But if it goes badly, if you kind of do that incorrectly, you know, could really hinder you from other potential partners without any kind of real upside. So I think navigating a few simple things like that, how do you contract with these big players, whether it's pharma, payers, or health systems, and how do you navigate through these things quickly is something that comes up again and again, especially for early stage founders. So if I read between the lines, are you saying that taking on more risk is something that startups should be prepared for when contracting? Not necessarily a few things. I think it's just being really smart about how you're thinking about a distribution channel. So, you know, making sure that there's real skin in the game, that they're actually excited that you're going to move through quickly a procurement process and you're not going to get stuck in a two-year cycle. You know, I think this future version that you're talking about around value, I think this is every digital health company's dream of saying, yes, we're going to work with a pair. We're going to take on value. We're going to share in the cost savings. But in reality, It'll take you multiple years to get there. You know, we work and talk with our advisors at many of the big pairs. You know, often you're going to have to start in a fee-for-service world, 
but make sure you have those conversations up front. So at least, you know, in that next 12 months, you're going to move from fee for service to a bundled payment. And then ultimately, you know, try to move towards capitation or something else if you can do that with your patient population. So there's many versions and, and ways to do this. And one of the things that's just so important is making sure we set expectations correctly with our founders. You know, when we connect them with someone on the other side, we're making sure everyone's ready and kind of prepped for the conversation and not just talking past each other, which I think happens just too frequently when Silicon Valley tries to interact with this, you know, some of the legacy healthcare players. Fairly or unfairly, I sometimes hear uh, the criticism, if you will, that technology startups tend to look at everything through a technology lens. And healthcare, and you're both a technologist and a physician. Would you agree with that? We see a lot of startups that hire physicians to come on as CMOs and so on and so forth. But that criticism seems to stick. You know, everybody comes at it from a technology standpoint, but healthcare is a people business, workflow, clinicians call the shots, et cetera, et cetera. You've seen this all. Uh, how would you respond to that criticism on behalf of your founders in your portfolio? I'd say at large as a field, I mostly agree with that criticism. And that's part of our job, especially when we have founders who don't come from the healthcare industry, to coach with them and work with them, get them to understand that healthcare is a people business, that healthcare is more risk averse, that it is going to take longer and build that trust because that's how healthcare works. We were laughing and actually I, I teach at Stanford for medical school. I work with early students. And you know sometimes we tell them, our guest speaker yesterday said, often physicians are the last player to build trust and move towards a new solution. And so that's something we work with our founders on on a daily basis to make sure they know that and understand what's happening. Yes, technology does have this potential to absolutely transform what we're doing, but I saw it myself both going through school as a clinician and then again as a technologist understanding it is a different world sitting in the hospital taking care of a patient and you know writing lines of code on your computer. And we need to bring people closer together if we're ever going to uh, make it work. Let's talk a little bit about Medicaid. I know it's something that you're passionate about. And uh, so when I look at Medicaid, it's a population that's been underserved, of course, and uh, there's a lot to be done there. But at the same time, there are some real challenges as well. And in the current economic climate, it's a very surprising thing that I heard recently. We are seeing Medicaid members relying on their caregivers and their hospitals to actually offer ride share because they can't afford the gas to drive themselves to their appointments. They can't afford the bandwidth for their mobile devices. They can't afford the data plans, you know, all of that. So, and then, of course, Medicaid being a government-run program and so on, there's a whole reimbursement component to it. What is your, you know, give us your thesis on the Medicaid space. Where do you see an opportunity to serve the population, but also make money? Absolutely. Every complaint you just mentioned, I think, is there, is a challenge in Medicaid today. But I would argue almost in each of those categories, things have gotten better and the opportunity has gotten closer for the past few years. So why is there an opportunity? You know, historically, yeah, Medicaid has been mostly ignored by every player in the healthcare system. It's a lower EBITDA per member for the payers. Hospital systems are losing money. It's just a question of how much. So they need to think of how few Medicaid members can I serve, but making sure I you know, still have to keep my nonprofit status. You know, no digital health company has for the most part, save a few exceptions, has targeted Medicaid early because why would I take a third 20% of the reimbursement I could get elsewhere? It just doesn't work. That's where technology has come into play. And a few trends I'll point to will speak to kind of why it's so exciting. So first, from a mobile standpoint, 
for over the past five years, the amount of kind of Medicaid members and just even the U.S. population as a whole that is connected now to high-speed internet that does have a smartphone has gone up considerably to the point where it can be more of an expectation rather than a rarity. So I think from a mobile-connected standpoint, things are fundamentally different than they were five years ago. Two, from a technology standpoint, this is where technology can make a difference in healthcare. When if you're traditionally giving services or even just a pure telemedicine visit, yes, the economics don't work. If I'm a psychiatrist doing a telemedicine visit, I fundamentally just don't make the same money per hour seeing a different patient. That's where technology solutions can come in. All of a sudden, when I can deliver an application, an FDA-approved digital therapeutic for a treatment, this can be done at a fraction of the cost and treat these patients at scale. This is where software has the potential when we deploy things across millions or billions of phones. This is the opportunity where we can deliver asynchronous telemedicine. That's you know a tenth, if not a hundredth of the cost to reach these patients. And so fundamentally, the technology tools are now available to treat these patients for a fraction of the cost. The last part you mentioned, you know, yes, now we're working with government, we're working with states. It's even worse than Medicare Advantage where we have to work with one plan. We have to figure out how we're going to contract with 50 states and the MCOs that kind of work with those states. But more and more dollars have gone from state funding to MCOs, which really allows for more creative options. So when I'm responsible for the total cost of care, I can do the ride share. I can do, you know, food delivery. I can do other things for those highest cost Medicaid patients. So all of these things have really pointed to, you know, this is in an area with you know, less than a billion and a half dollars total has flowed towards Medicaid startups. Contrast that with almost $20 billion in Medicare Advantage uh, focused on that market. Whereas Medicaid's almost twice the size from an annual spend. And so, you know, this has been an ignored area, but the tools are coming together. The climate is coming together. And I think there's going to be some huge winners that we're going to see over the next few years. And I hope uh, you're absolutely right about this because it is an underserved population and as a society, we need to do our best. Let's talk about your startups and your own business. You're investing in all these startups, you're funding them, you're hoping that they will get it all together and make it work. A big factor in all this is talent. And we are living through an acute talent crisis at every level in every sector of the economy, particularly acute in the tech sector. How does that factor into your investment decisions today? And how are your startups working through this challenge today? So absolutely agree. It is such a challenge to hire the best talent right now. In terms of how it factors into our investment decision, the most important thing from our investment decision at any stage is the team. Is this a founding team? Is the management team one that can succeed in the market? is top, top, top of their game. And such an important part of that is, are they going to be able to recruit those most talented employees at cheaper than their going rate? Every one of our startups, the top engineers could make double, triple their salary by jumping over to big tech. And so is it, do they believe in the mission of the company that they're going to help people? Do they believe in the trajectory of the company that has become a unicorn, decacorn, and from a financial side, give them upside as well? So fundamentally, the most important thing you know, we do when working and selecting investments is saying, is this a team that we believe is really going to make it? And such a key component of that is how they are as leaders, managers, and recruiters able to attract talent. So I think that's what we think about from an investment decision. You know, Fundamentally, that has always been one of the most important criteria, if not the most important criteria as we're thinking about an investment. 
And that really just carries over to the tough uh, hiring landscape today. In terms of what we talk to our startups and how we work with them, we tell them talent is important. And if they need to make a hire and they need to kind of go above what they have to do to attract them, get those people. Talent drives everything. And so you have to compete in whatever way you can to get them. What we've seen with most companies today is that people maybe had a historically geographic constraint and almost across all of our startups that has loosened so that you can find that that best engineer, even if they don't want to come into the office, even if they you know aren't in the city where you know the majority of your employees are. So that's something we've seen just very tactically across the board. So if I were a startup founder listening to this podcast, if I came to you and said, I've got a great idea that's going to serve the Medicaid population. I've got a great team of engineers. We've been together through the last three startups for the past 10 years. We're ready to go. Would that be an oversimplified way of appealing to your instincts? I think if they if they said those things or they they sent me a cold email, I'd be definitely inclined to respond. And then in that meeting when I was speaking with them, you know, you can take a, a recorded pitch or even as people go through a 10, 20 minute practice pitch, you know, the real key is how they respond to questions. When you start digging in, why are you doing it this way? How does this happen? That's when the real magic happens in terms of, at least for me, a pitch and evaluating a founder as the team to kind of see if they're ready for it. That's awesome. So we're coming up almost to the end of our time here. What is your advice to founders listening to this podcast? Not just in applying for funding with your fund, but in general, if they want to they want to make a difference and build a digital health startup. What is your advice to founders wanting to get in now? One, there's never been a better time to jump into digital health. I think for many years, personally, I found myself banging my head against the wall. We have to use technology. It's got to be this way. And I felt mostly ignored by many peers within medicine, uh, you know, not believing that technology would ever make a change. I think fundamentally that has shifted. I think we're seeing it across all stages of companies, more and more people saying, I want to work on something meaningful. I want to work on something that could really change the world and make a mark. And digital health, I think, is the perfect place. So in terms of advice, I would have to say, as people are thinking about this, jump in. This is the perfect time. There's so much room for growth. Yes, it might be not as frothy or as hypey a market you know, as it was for the past few months, that doesn't matter. There's so much room. There's capital available to fund good ideas and good teams. So we'd love to work with you. Fantastic. I'm afraid we have to leave it there for today. Fascinating conversation, Justin. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And uh, I wish you and your team at GSR Ventures all the very, very best and all your portfolio companies too. Thank you so much, Patty. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, Bewell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions. 